things like meditation also helps to calm the mind if these intrusive thoughts are really, really sticky. I'm a huge, huge believer in taking cold showers to at least the feelings and the sensation is so intense that it at least helps me disconnect from that thought and, and connect with kind of the cold sensation from feeling. If you're not ready to hop into a cold shower right out of the gate, usually just grabbing an ice cube has, has been helpful. When I've had a panic attack in the past, there's been times when I've grabbed an ice cube and gone for a light walk. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Jeff Risley and Howard Brown. Jeff is the founder of the Sales Health Alliance, and Howard is the founder and CEO of Ring DNA. And today, we're continuing a conversation we started in a recent episode about a really important topic in sales that just doesn't get enough attention. And it should, because it's a critical component of individual performance, and that is your mental health. Jeff started the Sales Health Alliance as a result of his own struggles, his personal struggles with anxiety. And he joins us today to talk about his own experiences with mental health and to talk about the challenges that so many sellers are facing today in that regard. Joining us also is Howard Brown, founder and CEO of RingDNA. And Howard has a very unique perspective on this whole topic because he is a mental health professional, clinical psychologist and licensed therapist. Howard started his career working with patients that struggle with the same anxieties, depression, and addiction challenges that so many sellers are confronting today. So this is a really important conversation, and my hope is that by having these conversations here on this show, that if just one person listening to this is inspired to take action, to seek help, to deal with their challenges, well then, we'll have done our job. All right, let's jump into it. Jeff and Howard, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Thanks for having us, Andy. Great to be here. Oh, excited to have you both on the show. Uh, Jeff is head of the Sales Health Alliance, and Howard is founder and CEO of Ring DNA, and uh, trained as a mental health professional, which is obviously germane to what we're going to talk about today. So, Jeff, tell us a little bit about your background and how the Sales Health Alliance got started. Yeah, I, it might be best just to go back to the beginning because it was really formed out of my own experience from working in sales and managing my own mental health. So yeah, I'm the founder of the Sales Health Alliance and I created it to empower salespeople to reach peak levels of sales performance through better mental health. And if I think about my own experience, I started in sales just over 10 years ago. Um, it was a boiler, classic boiler room type of sales environment. I felt like my worth as, a, as, a, as an employee <laughs> and a human was being measured on whether or not I could make $200 a day, achieve two and a half hours of talk time. If you weren't hitting your metrics, you were let go pretty quickly. What were you selling? So we were selling uh, conferences and workshops to oil and gas executives. So think of a fresh grad straight out of university pitching senior VPs and CEOs of the biggest oil and gas companies in the world. It was a pretty wild, wild experience. And these these were conferences for what? Conferences for like best practices in the oil and gas industry, so like supply okay. chain management, things like that. So yeah, it was it was a wild experience. Um, but yeah, it was it was I did really well. I was again one of my first sales jobs, and I did really well. I was one of the top performers in the company for a few months. And behind the scenes, I definitely was not doing okay. I was struggling quite terribly with my mental health. I had really bad anxiety, insomnia, panic attacks, attacks in the middle of the night. And it was after the third panic attack that put me in the hospital in the middle of the night when I thought, well, I should probably do something about this and went to see my doctor. He prescribed me some anxiety medication for two to, that I tried for two to three months, but I hated how it made me feel. I don't know mm -hmm. if and any of you have experienced this, but anxiety medication for me, I, I lost touch with my emotions, my intuition, the things that I was relying on to be one of the top, like pick up on those micro buying signals and be a top seller. I felt like I lost that and going to therapy 10 years ago was still highly stigmatized. So I felt like I was on an Island and said, okay, well, what else can I do? And I just started reading and learning everything that I possibly could from a mental health standpoint, the neuroscience, human behavior habits. And I started implementing this stuff on, on for, for my, for myself and my own sales career. And I didn't realize how important this stuff was until Fast forward to July of 2018, I just launched my first sales consulting website. And I was diagnosed with testicular cancer three days after the website went, went live. Jeez. 
Mm. So it was a, a huge curveball that life threw it throughout me. But that's when this whole idea really started to form around Sales Health Alliance and mental health and sales, because the same strategies that I used to take care of my mental health and sales, I naturally started to execute on during this next period of my life. And then it really started to become clear that anxiety in sales is not optional. And it's really part of everyday life. And when sales teams start to become anxious, depressed, and burnt out, their sales performance suffers. So my work is really focusing on changing the conversation around mental health from doom and gloom to really treating salespeople like corporate athletes and helping them improve their mental game and their resilience. So I hope that helps give a little little background on, yeah. on, on so, how I'm here. Well, so how's, how's your health with the cancer? Health is great. Um, okay. So cancer-free today. Caught Excellent. it. Caught it very early. So it was a, a quick recovery. But it was definitely a, a blindsiding experience at the age of 30 when I thought I was in the best shape of my life. So Yeah. Well, especially yeah. that particular cancer, too, for men. Um, mm. So, Howard, maybe talk a little bit about your background. Because you have a very unusual uh, combination of backgrounds because you're trained as a mental health professional before getting in the entrepreneurial route. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, trained as a therapist, worked with a variety of populations from uh, substance abuse to dual diagnosis, early uh, early release uh, convicted felons who suffered from dual diagnosis, uh, went on to start a private practice and treating families, um, couples, and teenagers, and really, really fell in love with helping people. Um, but part of the challenge for me was I felt like I needed to do more. At the same time, I had leased out a bunch of office space to a bunch of therapists. And while they may have been great counselors, they were awful business people and simply paid <laughs> so <rent>. bad tenants. <laughs> yes, bad tenants. Uh, I was also doing a lot of research around behavioral health care disorders, mental disorders. And this goes back to 1997, 98. And talk about stigma of finding help. It was rampant outside of Los Angeles, of course. The idea of finding help was essentially correlated to you're crazy. Mm-hmm. And so Having studied through uh, a lot of information um, within the American Psychological Association and discovering that two-thirds of the American public at some point in their life had suffered from some debilitating form of behavioral health care disorder, um, and I was a programmer as a kid, I decided that the internet was the perfect vehicle for a marketplace issue. Number one, how do we reach out to those people who need help, who feel like they're totally alone in the anonymous vehicle, which was the internet and in some ways still is hopefully. And then two, how do I help therapists grow their portfolio of customers by using uh, this online network of websites to find patients in their geographic area? And uh, it was a fascinating journey. I started with the therapist and we were able to recruit roughly a thousand therapists in a four month period to pay us $99 a month to be part of the service. Uh, it was great, only I only had one half of the marketplace. Mm. So I had to quickly figure out how to find patients for these therapists, or else they were not going to continue to pay for the services. Um, and at that point, we empowered the therapist to really uh, write about their specialties, write about uh, behavioral health care disorders, write about treatment. And over a period of seven years, we actually were able to generate close to a million pages of unique content that we aggregated over 400 websites from drugaddiction.com to eating disorders, anxiety. Um, And on that site, we had um, tens of thousands of users on a daily basis looking for resources so that they did not feel so alone, so that they could find free resources in their community. And most importantly, if they needed the help, whether it was a therapist or a drug and alcohol treatment center, they could find uh, fully accredited licensed professionals that had been vetted. And uh, it was great. It was a wonderful service. Um, I was able to run that service for seven years, and then we were acquired by the largest behavioral health care provider in the world. And my job became filling 33,000 beds on a daily basis. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's impressive. So, 
Yeah, very, very much so. And I said, you bring a, a really unique background to you know, the sales profession, uh, especially CEO of a sales tech company that I thought was so valuable to add to this conversation. So, you know, we're, we're at this point, we're seven months into this pandemic, uh, which, you know, we know is completely sort of 180 uh, change in the lives of so many sellers. Jeff, I mean, what are you hearing in terms of what are the most sort of pressing mental health challenges you're hearing from salespeople today, six months in, seven months in? Uh, yeah, like there's, there's a few, I think that like a, a big one has been that the intensity of change that has come with COVID has not been met with the same intensity of support by sales teams and organizations. I think that's that's a that's a huge issue. I did um, I did a survey before back in I think it wrapped up back in December of last year. So I did a survey and gathered responses from just under 300 salespeople and sales leaders and found that more than two in five salespeople struggle with their mental health. They came back with uh, 43%. And then I did a survey shortly into uh, into COVID when it after the lock it, lockdown started, and fifty two percent of people, salespeople, said that they they would describe their mental health as worse compared to now compared to the six months leading up to COVID. So there's been this huge shift and this huge change that's brought uncertainty and changes that I don't think a lot of people have been able to manage effectively. And when I speak with sales teams, one of the biggest issues that they have is there's still a lot of stigma within the the space, but it seems like everyone is is extremely burnt out, but sales leaders are having a very difficult time identifying who on their team is struggling on a regular basis because with everyone working remotely, it's much easier for someone who doesn't feel like they're in a safe space to show up for a 30 minute zoom call and put on a face and put on a mask. Like everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Versus if someone's showing up to work for seven, eight hours a day and you can, you know, as a sales leader and a manager can pick up on those changes in behavior and changes in habits that kind of indicate that something's up. It's very hard to, to see that now. So I think that's one of the, sort of the, the main things that I'm seeing is it's, it's very hard to identify who on the team is struggling, but all of the data and all of the research is showing that like there's a huge problem here, but right. no one really knows how to address it. Well, I think to me the key thing is what you said though is that that the the increase in anxiety, depression, whatever that's being felt is not being matched uh, by the company's support that they're providing, which is. I would think kind of ironic because you know this is not an issue just for individual contributors. This is an issue for frontline managers, you know, directors, VPs, everybody. Mm-hmm. But the but the a lot of the strategies that they're implementing too is it's is I know a lot of people are saying, well, we have mental health days now, and there's all these different we we've invested into therapy sessions for our team, which these are all amazing things, move steps in the right direction. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to into downplay them but a lot of the strategies organizations are are implementing from what i'm seeing are are to address very serious issues like really bad anxiety really bad depression they're they're catching the problem way too late and things like absenteeism and presenteeism have already settled in and where the focus needs to move is how can you equip leaders and individuals at an individual leaders and individual contributors at an individual level when they are working from home to be able to understand what declining mental health looks and looks like in themselves, what does burnout mm-hmm. look like and what can you really start doing at an individual level to remain resilient and make the right choices rather than defaulting to a lot of the bad habits that we tend to fall into when we're experiencing a downward spiral or we start to get anxious and, and feel scared about the world that's around us. Mm-hmm. So Howard, what are your thoughts about what people you know, either self-assessment or steps that should be, or in an, and steps that should be taking um, at this time in terms of a, you know, their own mental health. Well, I think it's never been more important to take care of yourself. We're in the midst of a pandemic. Many of us are working from home. Our lives have changed in dramatic ways. Um, 
change in a lot of ways is truly equal to stress. And with this level of change and uncertainty, uh, I think everybody's feeling stress. And if you equate your self-worth and your value to how you perform, as many salespeople do, you've now taken the stress of performance and the stress of uncertainty and change, and you've got a recipe for disaster. So number one, having open dialogue about it is critically important. Taking care of yourself like a professional athlete where you're eating well, you're sleeping well, you're doing things to take care of your own mental health, whether that's exercising or talking to a therapist, uh, I think is critical. Prioritizing it. Prioritizing it, absolutely. And one thing that I've seen is because so many people feel like their life is out of control. The fact is, we had far more control when we could go out and make decisions for ourselves. But right now, a lot of our decisions are being controlled. We're, we're, we're at home. We can't leave. We have to leave. We have to wear masks. Mm-hmm. All good stuff, absolutely necessary. But a sense of loss and a sense of loss of control is not something that most people are equipped to deal with. And so they attempt to control their inner um, feelings. They attempt to control others in their lives. Um, this, this grab for control, um, in fact, leads to more problems at home, more po- problems with your colleagues, um, and more problems with yourself. And mm-hmm. so the ability to invest the time to, one, ask yourself, How do you feel today? What are you going to do to make yourself feel better? How are you going to help somebody else today? Um, Are you eating well? Those those types of self-assessments and then the hopefully the catalyst to change it is what we all need to be doing. And, And I would I would just add to that as well. I think part of it is as a society, we're just not great at being able to identify what emotions we're feeling at any given moment and know how to deal with them. And I think a lot of the default coping mechanisms that a lot of us were, were using, whether it's taking a vacation or socializing with friends or going to the gym, like all of these really great stress reducers that we would naturally execute on and, and default to, a lot of them are not on the table right now because of social distancing mm-hmm. lockdown that all of a sudden people need to learn new ways to deal with these difficult emotions and deal with these kind of uncertainties and issues with confidence and self-esteem issues. Like there's, there's really, there's not a lot of distraction that you can, you can use right now when you're working from home and spending a lot of time by yourself. And as soon as you look outwards, you're just getting more anxious by what you're seeing in the media and in the news. So I think it's building on what Howard said is like, a combination in, of of learning how to take care, better care of ourselves, but also understanding that this is new for everyone to be able to navigate this together and learn these new skills because we haven't done it before, really, as, yeah. as, a, as a whole society together. Well, I want to read you an excerpt from a post that was posted on Reddit this week in the sales forum. And I, it, sir, as I read it, it sort of struck me as like, this is probably not atypical. It's probably very typical. It's this person writing saying, six months into working from home, the grind and stress are really getting to me. I sit at home by myself all day, getting rejected by people, feeling like I peaked back in March and April, and will never do better now than I did then. My motivation and mood are getting generally worse each week. I video conference with my coworkers a lot to try to keep company, but they're all cynical about the situation like I am. We're told we're going to be working from home at least another six months, and I'm worried my mental health will plummet once winter hits and it's dark and rainy all the time. I'd love to take a week of PTO and do nothing, but it's not like my quota is lowered when I take vacation, so I'll just come back and feel more stressed than I was before. What should I do? And that just (laughs) broke my heart, quite frankly. (laughs) Um, 
you know, because there's so much baked into that stress, loneliness, rejection, poor self-esteem. Everyone is depressed, uh, and it's the sense of impending doom because it's going to get worse as the seasons change and we have a surge. And and my company either doesn't understand or doesn't care because I don't feel empowered to even take a day off. Mm. But that's where I think organizations are getting it wrong. Like especially like I I love that sales enablement has become so mainstream and, and so important to driving success within sales. But if you think about kind of the typical sales KPIs, how many dollars a rep is making, how many meetings are booking, and then you have kind of the lagging indicators, churn rates, how much revenue has been closed, etc. We have these leading and lagging indicators that sales teams are using to measure a quote unquote, a healthy pipeline. But in reality, they're both both are going to be lagging indicators and the real leading indicators are going to be how anxious is the rep? Are they depressed? Are they sleeping right? A lot of the things that Howard mentioned are the real leading indicators, the input of the rep and how that athlete is showing up on a daily basis is going to drive success across all of those other kind of KPIs that sales teams get in a frenzy about. So he, even though he feels like he can't take time off, that's exactly what he should be doing because he's being, if he's showing up and trying to sell as he is right now, it's it's going to be ineffective and it's going to make his performance worse over time. Yeah. And and Jeff, it's interesting when first of all, thank you for what you're doing. I think what you're doing is is a service to all salespeople out there and your focus around mental health is is uh inspiring. I I I don't think that we spend enough time thinking about it, whether it's sales, marketing, success, whatever. Every part of an organization needs to think about their employees and their well-being. I think particularly at this time, one of the biggest losses that we're facing is the inability to really connect with other people. I mean, whether whether it's human touch or high fives or hugging one another, being in the physical presence of others is in many ways supporting one another. And, and we don't have that. We don't have that as an option today. And I think people miss that connection. I know I miss that connection. I certainly have talked to others. One thing that I, I really loved hearing from a sales rep that I was speaking to early uh, this week was when he was describing a deal that he just won, he, he, he was talking about how he was able to connect with a handful of buyers at the organization and that he felt like he was truly helping them out, that their problems were problems that were causing them stress on the job and that he, in fact, saw himself as a helper, not just for the, the business but for these buyers, and when they ultimately made a decision and purchased the product, he felt really good about himself. One, sure, he won the deal, but two, he felt like he could really connect and help someone else. And I think that as sellers, if we think about ourselves as helpers, it really does help um, to be there for others. And I think there's so much pressure to get the meeting, to drive the sale. What we really forget about is our job is to connect with other people and to help them make buying decisions, to help them fix problems within their business. And I think that that's one of those quick wins that if we just take a different mindset to what is it we're trying to accomplish as salespeople, um, I think a lot of salespeople got into sales to connect, to solve, to to win, and I think it's important to bring us back to that focus, uh, and and away from just being the number of dials, the number of connects. It's really about helping, connecting with others, and solving problems. Yeah, but I think that's that is absolutely right. I mean, this you talked about mindset. I call it perspective. Is it starts, and this is really a, a cultural thing. It starts at the top. Uh, you know. Not many companies have that perspective where for sellers think that their job, they have a purpose behind their job, which is to help, as opposed to if you survey, I would believe most sellers, and I do this informally, like when I've been speaking to groups in public, is what's your job to sellers? Yeah, you know, 95% will say it's to get an order. Hmm. And that's this is this is the way we're training and acculturating 
our, our sellers. But I think I think that's one of the major issues with sales right now is a lot of I know I was coached like this very early on is it's is it's is it's like don't take business personally, like leave emotions out of it. And it's totally backwards. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's an emotion-driven yeah. business. <laughs> because like, anything, like meaning, meaningful work has long been one of the biggest drivers of resilience and, and living a meaningful life. Having that strong personal why and that purpose is absolutely critical to remaining in the moment and showing up and performing day in and day out and, and, and being connected. But I don't know the last person I personally is, have, have ever been gritty or gone through the trenches or worked really hard for something that I wasn't emotionally connected to. Right. Like, emotions need to be part of the equation. And far too often, sales leaders and sales individuals try to hide their emotions, bury their emotions, but they need Say those they're em- unnecessary. Say they're unnecessary, but you absolutely need those emotions for your work to be meaningful. It needs to hurt when a buyer doesn't respond to you or rejects your deal it shows that you truly cared about them if you if that doesn't hurt then there's already an issue and you need to have that really strong personal why to make sure that your 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 work is meaningful on a daily basis and 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 sit with those difficult emotions when you do get rejected rather than try to push them away and bury them behind i know for me it was back in the day it was partying and playing hours of video games Mm. um Emotions absolutely needs to be part of sales, and it's 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 important to experience experience the good ones as well as the bad ones. In, in my opinion, yeah, Jeff, I, I it's interesting again because I think there is a thin line there, and it depends very much on the role. So, if my job as an SDR is to call a lot of people and just book a meeting, mm-hmm. it's it's really hard to be rejected 99 times a day and take that personally. That's, that's really, really difficult. Um, for a sales rep who's in a sales cycle, hopefully they're building that relationship with stakeholders. They're connecting with them. They're, they're asking the buyer to essentially be vulnerable, to be honest about what's going on and then their job is to paint a picture of how their life could benefit through their solution or service. So that's where, yes, take it absolutely personal. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the SDR role, that outreach, um, that, that motion is really, I, I feel bad for those people every single day. Um, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that they they have to disconnect from their emotions, but I think that they also need to be really aware that that rejection is not a rejection of them, and it and it's not a rejection of who they are as a person, and it may quite frankly not even be a rejection of them as a salesperson. It's just a really really tough job, and requires, and I hate to say this, in some ways a thick skin, in other ways. It really requires sensitivity because once that job's done, you mm. need to take care of yourself. You need to find the things that make you feel valuable. You need to find ways to deal with that rejection and the fear and all the feelings that go with being constantly told no or hung up on or that you're interrupting. It's it's tough. Yeah, I don't. I I think where you're heading, at least from my perspective, is. Yeah, it's not personal, but you can't completely separate it just because totally. you're getting it time and time and time again. And it's, yeah, I mean, I, I gosh, I remember the first <laughs> two years in sales, uh, you know, days where I would you know be home looking at the walls by noon because I, <laughs> I knew it wasn't personal, but it sure felt personal. Yeah. Um, for, for the for the SDRs out there, one thing that's that helped that's helped me back in the day, and something that I share is is really being mindful of when that internal talk track, that internal thinking in your head moves from I have failed to I am a failure. I have failed is is objective. You failed on that call, but sometimes if you get a if this happens multiple times in a, in a row, you'll see that internal talk track move from I've failed at booking that meeting to I am a failure. And that's really dangerous when that happens because then it's 
becomes more personal. It's no longer objective. It's more, it's, it's, it's attack. It starts to attack your identity. So that's one thing that I've found is like really being careful of noticing when that change happens and, and making sure you prioritize some self-care when that I'm a failure starts to enter your, your thinking pattern. Well, how do we how do we train sellers? Let's start with SDRs, who are our new grads, you know, fresh faces into sales, first generation. And it's like, how do we how do we make them aware of that that talk track and the danger of that? I mean, I'm thinking of all the sales training I'm aware of and I've watched or seen, and it's like, man, no one's no one's addressing that. Mm-hmm. And it, this is such a critical part of, of people's performance, as you talk about in your mission statement for the Sales Health Alliance. So for me, my, the, the foundation that I think people need to implement and teams need to implement is building this into their a mental health component, a resilience component into their onboarding program and really focusing, you know, you, you have all of your tools around selling and sales that helps develop their craft. Now you need to have a mental piece that essentially gives salespeople and new sales hires the helmet, the pads that they need to play a contact sport every single day. And what that looks like foundation for me, the, f- the first session that I always teach is becoming aware of what mental health is, but what does it mean for you? What triggers impact you the most, whether it's missing target, getting rejected, buyers ghosting, what ones do you do, do, do you hurt you the most? And two, how does mental health decline in yourself? So for me, I always, I have to, I break it down into three buckets. There's the first thing you need to be aware of is intrusive thoughts. So they usually enter your brain from as in what if statements, what mm-hmm. if I don't do well, what if I fail, what if I miss my target? That's the, the first kind of bucket you need to be start to learn how those thoughts enter your mind. Then there's somatic symptoms. So the feelings you have, you get when your mental health starts to decline. For me, I have night sweats in the middle of the night when I'm starting to get stressed out. I also get a pain in my upper right stomach. These aren't going to be the same for everyone. But for me, whenever I notice that pain in my upper right stomach coming into, coming into play, I pause and I'm like, oh, nine times out of 10, there's a what if statement or something that I'm thinking about that has changed the way, my, the way I'm thinking. And then the last one is is behaviors. So understanding what bad habits and behaviors start to change as our mental health starts to decline. Are we scrolling more on social media? Are we playing more video games? Are, are we drinking more than we should? And learning what all of these uh, in these three three buckets, what starts to change and change and manifest in declining mental health is the first part. Because if you're not aware of it, you can't stop it and you can't make improvements to yourself. So that's something. I focus on it. I'd love to hear your insight on this too, Howard, and, and what you think this first step might be. Well, I would love to hear more about what you do when you start feeling those symptoms or start getting uh, those what if statements. How, how do you deal with that? How do, how do you thought stop? Um, what do you do physically? Um, what do you do when you wake up in the, in the middle of the night and you have night sweats? Yeah. So journaling has been a huge piece for me and really just exploring approaching approaching these thoughts with curiosity and trying to just understand what what where this emotion is stemming from what happened earlier in the day why am i not feeling confident and really just exploring them um, because once i can actually figure out the emotion whether it's i'm feeling guilty or i'm feeling sad about this or i'm feeling like a failure if i can label that one emotion I always like to describe emotions like waves and until you can label what wave you're feeling, it's, it'll just keep growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But as soon as I'm able to label an emotion of that, that I'm feeling, I can acknowledge that it's a wave. These emotions, these negative emotions that I'm feeling are temporary and then I can sit with it. And the more that I sit with it and just acknowledge that I'm in a, I'm in a safe space, that these emotions are not scary it starts to dissipate again, Mm. things like meditation also helps to calm the mind. If these intrusive thoughts are really, really sticky, uh, I'm a huge, huge believer in taking cold showers to at least the, the, the feelings and the sensation is so intense that it at least helps me disconnect from that thought and, and, and connect with kind of the cold sensations I'm feeling. If you're not ready to hop into a cold shower right out of the (laughs) gate, um, 
usually just grabbing an ice cube has, has been helpful when I've had a panic attack in the past. There's been times when I've grabbed a pan, I've grabbed an ice cube and gone for a light walk. Um, there's other strategies like having a mindful moment. And while the adrenaline is leaving your body from that fight or flight response to this existential threat you've created in your, in your head, while that is starting to leave your body, you can also start kind of labeling things that you you're seeing that you're hearing that you're tasting that you're smelling and that's why i find going for a light walk really helps because if you're just lying in bed you kind of run out of things to to start mm-hmm. labeling but if you're going for a light walk there's a sound smells and things to help you get back to the present and regain perspective as 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 you as this wave of emotion starts to leave so these these are some of the things that that i've done that have been really really helpful and i have lots of free resources like this uh i wrote one on, on a panic attack on sales health alliance recently so you're struggling with it. You can you can check it out there. Yeah, that's great. I, question: When you when you talk about your what if statements, mm-hmm. can you can you expand just a little bit on what those what if statements sound like? What what's what's after what if? Yeah, so it's it's crazy because uh, I'll I'll go back to an example of when I first started in sales when the panic attacks were really bad. It's it usually, the thing with sales is there's, there, you're so busy every single day and there's so many distractions that a small, uh, like a deal falling through might seem, might seem in, insignificant to you at that moment in time because you're so distracted. But for me, when it gets quiet at night and I'm trying to fall asleep, that insignificant moment can really start to grow out of control. So if I lose a deal, it might be, what if I don't book any meetings tomorrow? What if you don't sleep well? You're not. You're definitely not going to be able to book book any meetings tomorrow. What if your boss notices? What if you get fired? What if you can't pay rent because you miss your commission check? What if your family sees this and disowns you? And it starts to move from what if statements to perceived truths. And it's the what if disappears, and then it's you are going to lose your job tomorrow. You are going to not be able to pay rent. Your family's going to disown you. And it's this really nasty cycle that has just totally manifested manifested itself in your head in the span of anywhere from five to 20 minutes or or a few hours. And it all stems back to this um, this one event that took place in the middle of the day that you thought was insignificant but creeps back in when you're alone with your thoughts and and don't have those distractions and again going back to what we're talking about with the pandemic that's where i see some of these issues starting to play we don't have those distractions of socializing with friends we don't have going on vacations for hard resets it's just always we're 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 having to figure out new ways to deal with these emotions that we deal we, we face on a daily basis that we've never done before yeah, it's it, it's really interesting, and and you certainly have found techniques to deal with that that vicious cycle. Um, one thing that I I have certainly done and and seen others do is actually allow those thoughts to come in and really take over, because mm. to to allow them to come in and what if I don't you know connect and what if I don't have a meeting and what if I don't close this deal and what if my boss fires me and what if my family disowns me and what if I have no money and what if I'm homeless and what if you know what if I die Mm -hmm. that's an amazing amount of fear and that's a lot of material but allowing it to sort of play itself out and then say yeah that's what if but right now I have a job right now. I'm sitting in my bed. I'm not working on this deal. I could book this meeting. I could not. I'm in the present moment, but allowing it to go down that road. Like I've, Hey, I'm, I've taken it as far as it's going to go. That's fear. That's not fact. Now let's separate that. Because if I'm constantly, for me, if I'm constantly stopping it short, I'm constantly worried that I'm going to get caught in that cycle of thought that I will not be able to control. What I found useful is actually letting my mind go there, go all the way to keep going. Mm-hmm. You take the fear out of it. Yeah. I, I, I flood it. Essentially. I let the, I flood myself with it. I get to a point and say, okay, that was, that was my thought. That's not my reality. That's not the facts. 
But that's where that part of my mind, that part of my persona, that fear, that intrinsic fear that has come from something very deep is taking over. And guess what? I'm going to let it have its few moments or have its time, but it's not the reality and come back to the facts. And so that's one technique I've certainly used. That's a, that's a great technique because I, I, I love that it's also rooted in seeking discomfort. You are seeking this, the discomfort within those emotions. And I, that's something that I've also learned to do from an anxiety standpoint and a fear standpoint. Like these emotions usually start to, like we start to get anxious and fearful usually when we're on the edge of our comfort zone. And sales loves to push us to the edge of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And those emotions are there that are, you know, trying to pull us back to our comfort zone. And once you can acknowledge that using those as like messengers and beacons to say, wow, I'm inside my comfort zone. I'm in, I'm in growth mode right now and really seeking the discomfort and pushing through and not letting those, those emotions pull you back to your comfort zone is a, is a huge skill. It's something that I've had to learn about and implement daily as, as, as an entrepreneur trying to build this business is really facing that discomfort day in and day out so that I can consistently be growing as an individual um, and not succumbing to, to some of the, the, to, to some of the pain and and and, mm-hmm. and those feelings that come with those emotions. Yeah, and Jeff, you you mentioned yourself as an entrepreneur. I think it's really really important to just surface the fact that this isn't just sales. Sales certainly has a lot of it, but as an entrepreneur and as a founder, it doesn't go away. There's there's mm-hmm. other fears. I have fears that. Um, you know, if I go to my board meeting and I don't perform well, what if, what if, what if, uh, if we don't raise that next round, how will that impact me? Most importantly, how will that impact the hundreds of people that I support? Um, it just can, I think whatever you're doing, there is that fear that can consume you and whether you're, a parent and you do something wrong with your kids, whether you're a salesperson and you blow it, there is, if we equate what we do with who we are, if we allow the fear to take over whatever the circumstance and run with us and take us, that that will equate to anxiety, to depression, to insomnia, to drug abuse, to all those other things to deal with the feelings, because that's what we're truly afraid of, feeling those feelings. Yeah. It's helping all those addiction and all those things just help us avoid. They're easy things to help us avoid the fear and, and run away from it as quickly as possible, which is not what we should be doing. <laughs> right. I mean, isn't, and part of this contributing, this is... Yeah, you know, we were talking about self-esteem and other issues is, is fear of rejection by the clients, but also fear of rejection by peers and managers yes. is, you know, the way we sort of casually label people, you know, cause we're talking about, you know, you're not this feeling, you're not this emotion, but you know, we, we always sort of have all these casual rankings, you know, ABC players, you know, so on and so forth in sales. And it seems like a small thing, but it, it, it manifests, I think, you know, down through how you communicate to people. Mm-hmm. That just seems like it amplifies these issues. That's that's one of my biggest qualms and issues with sales. Is I think the the sales leaderboard I just think needs to be totally, totally innovated on and changed because it just we we know that comparing each other to others consistently is. Is, is not good for our mental health. Like the, we should be comparing ourselves to ourselves and showing progress and growth in our individuals rather than consistently throwing up day in and day out. This person's on, on the top, this person's on the bottom. Because if you really have a team target and you have a sales team target, it's crazy to me that sales has, and then I've, I've promoted this in the past, and it's like, it's crazy to me to say that you have a group of individuals competing against each other all on the same team it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense like not a single performance driven sport and team sport operates that way where everyone has different objectives and different goals and i think that fuels a lot of the toxicity whether it's lead stealing unwilling to help out each other 
all of like the, the the problems that we have within sales is just we rely too heavily on this fear of motivation and thinking salespeople are hyper competitive and the leaderboard is the only way to motivate them. I just think there's way better ways to, to, to motivate people that are much more supportive and, and more caring from a mental health standpoint. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not a huge fan of gamification for those very reasons. Yeah, gamification is really interesting. I think one thing you'll find in a lot of sales people is that they become addicted to the win. And the win, quite frankly, I mean, there's there's chemistry here, right? There's dopamine charge when mm-hmm. you get that bell, when you ring that bell and win, you get that dopamine charge. And I think that's hard enough. And then you take gamification where every little thing is essentially giving you a dopamine factor hmm. or it's the same thing on LinkedIn. How many likes do I get? How many comments do I get? Or Instagram, how many people view my photo or tell me I'm pretty or whatever it may be. We're all so addicted to this immediate gratification that's driven by somebody else. And that I think is incredibly damaging. There's chemistry involved and that becomes incredibly difficult to break. And Howard, just in case you're wondering, you are beautiful. <laughs> I'll thank you. As are you, and young, <laughs> and handsome. Yeah. <laughs> young. Um, well, so we're sort of running out of time, but I have one more question I really wanted to get into. I've got a number of questions I want to get into, but just one that we'll, we'll start with here. And, and Jeff, you sort of alluded to it, is, is yeah, people started this, this shutdown thing. It was going to last you know, six, seven months, and there's you know, people looking forward to a fresh start, if you will. But it seems clear that's that's not going to happen for a number of reasons. How how do we give sellers a fresh start, right? I mean, I I, I can't imagine there's very many that that aren't feeling some level of burnout just because the nature of work has changed. Way more, you know, fatiguing Zoom calls and so on. Is is how do we give people a fresh start? Yeah, that's that's a that's a big question. Uh, I, I would say. Compassion is a, is a huge piece, and I think we've got a really unique moment in time right now where compa- like mental health has been an issue and stigmatized in, in the workplace long before the pandemic took place, right. and it will be here long after the um, long after the pandemic is over. But right now, there's this unique external threat in the form of COVID nineteen that's impact every single person's life and there's this opportunity to connect and share and start talking about these things that we normally wouldn't talk about within sales and like i said it goes back to learning these skills of creating a safe space and it it doesn't need to be perfect by any means but it definitely starts with leadership sales leadership opening up about how they're feeling what they're routine is looking like, how they're prioritizing their mental health if they aren't struggling. But I think it also gets back to what we talked about initially is helping salespeople and the teams revisit and find meaningful work because it's within meaningful work that people can find hope. If they're, it's, it's something that I rely on every single day. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a grind for me to, to be honest, you know, there's a lot of stigma within sales right now, but if I lose hope, it's very easy for me to get demotivated and have stress take over and have fear take over. But as soon as I revisit the people that I'm trying to help, really taking this altruistic view and moving away from how I'm feeling and back towards who I'm helping on a regular basis, that gives me hope to show up each day. That gives me hope that you know the next deal is around the corner and success is around the corner. And really focusing on how do we create more hope within our teams and at an individual level. And I think it really goes back to how do you make their day-to-day more meaningful on a regular basis and get away from being hyper-focused on the metrics and the dials, but really why they started working at the company and the, the mission and the vision that it's, it's going to be paving the way um, mm-hmm. through this pandemic, I think is. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would second that Jeff. And I, I would say it goes beyond just sales leadership to, Um, company leadership to CEO all the way to the top. And it's really important to create a 
culture of transparency, um, a culture where people embrace one another, uh, a culture where people actually talk about the mission and the value, but that they can be there for one another. You talk about a team approach that that comes from the top. People have to feel like they're working together to solve something, to get better, to help one another. And if you can create a culture where people really, really value that and you hire for that and you build programs to nurture that, that goes a really long way. Because at the end of the day, our companies in many ways are our communities. And if we create a helpful, supportive community, it will thrive. And if we create something where we have individual contributors and everybody is going off on their own, you will have a lot of sick people and you will have a sick company and culture. Mm-hmm. Love it. Totally agree. Well, Howard, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. So Jeff, if people want to find out more about Sales Health Alliance and connect with you, how can they do that? Sales, uh, very easy. Saleshealthalliance.com is, is my website. I've created it as resource first, business second. So if you go to that website, you'll see all sorts of free resources, whether it's from books to articles I've written to articles other people have written. Uh, if you're looking for to start building mental health and building, equipping your sales team with more uh, resilience, resilience and mental health and EQ training, uh, there's links there of an online course as well that will help support you do that. Um, so yeah, it's saleshealthalliance.com is the best place and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Jeff Risley, R-I-S-E-L-E-Y. Uh, I just want to say, Jeff, keep up the great work. You're doing incredible stuff for a community, for people who really need it. And um, we need people like you to support all of us. This is a difficult time and uh you know, it's, it's, it's inspiring to see people like you stepping up, uh, how to reach me, Andy. Yeah. Is that what you're asking? I know uh, how to reach you, but I don't know everybody else does. Uh, LinkedIn, um, Howard Brown, um, Twitter, Howard Brown. So I'm all over the place. <laughs> yeah. And Jeff, I just want to reiterate what Howard said is, is yeah. So much admiration and respect for what you're doing. It's such an important topic. Um, you know, as we said on LinkedIn a couple weeks ago, we had a previous episode on mental health issues and sales. Is no one escapes unscathed in this business. It's something that affects all of us. Uh, we all need to be aware of it and be aware also of of our peers and our friends that are in the business as well and how we can help ourselves and each other. So thank you very much for your work. Grateful to, to have the experience and thanks to both of you for helping to create awareness around this topic and, and keep the Keep moving the needle forward. It's one one little step at a time. So this, this helps a ton. So thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank my guests, Jeff Risley of the Sales Health Alliance and Howard Brown of Ring DNA for sharing their insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review, let us know how we're doing, we'd certainly appreciate that. And you can do that all on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.